to infinity and beyond! You actually think you're the Buzz Lightyear? You are a toy! You are a child's plaything! You're mocking me, aren't you? Whoa, hey, wait a minute. Being a toy is a lot better than being a, a space ranger. Over in that house is a kid who thinks you are the greatest, and it's not because you're a space ranger, pal. It's because you're a toy. You are his toy. And to him, you're his buddy, his best friend. And when Andy plays with you, it's like, even though you're not moving, you feel like you're alive, because that's how he sees you. Life's only worth living if you're being loved by a kid. But what happens when the kids grow up? Welcome to Now Playing's Toy Story Retrospective Series. You got a play date with destiny. Hosted by Arnie. He'll never give up on you. Ever. He'll be there for you, no matter what. Stuart. I've been here years. They'll never break me. And Jacob. You're my favorite deputy. A new podcast is posted every Tuesday, so come back each week for another new show. Then we'd better make sure we're there waiting for them. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. The word I'm searching for, I can't say, because there's preschool toys present. We do a lot of improv here. Just stay loose, have fun, you'll be fine. Today we're discussing Toy Story 3, starring Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Joan Cusack, Don Rickles, Paula Sean, John Ratzenberger, Estelle Harris, Blake Clark, Ned Beatty, Michael Keaton, Jody Benson, John Morris, directed by Lee Unkrich. This is the now playing co-host whose entire life is a toy story, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the host who firmly believes that authority should be derived from the consent of the governed and not from threat of force, Jacob. I was thinking of you when I was listening to Barbie. Strangely enough, that really <laughs> happened. Yeah, she has a wonderfully libertarian view. Was it ever going to happen? I had given up hope. I had stopped thinking about Toy Story. It took 11 years from Toy Story 2 to the movie we're talking about today. I think part of it was Pixar just didn't need it. They had an incredible string of success. Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Incredibles, Cars, Wally, Ratatouille, Up!, why would they need to keep going back to an old well? They only did Toy Story 2 because they thought it was going straight to tape, and then they figured out a way to make it great. And they weren't going to do Toy Story 3. Uh, the more I read into like their deal with Disney, it sounds like they got a horrible bargain. Maybe they didn't mind. But apparently, even though Pixar, they write the scripts and make the features, like Disney was still going to take half because they distributed it. They also got to own the characters. And Disney's like, okay, you guys aren't going to do a Toy Story 3? We'll do it. We'll give it to another animation studio. And so it was farmed out, and a different studio started to produce this film. Oh, what a nightmare. Yeah, I did notice it was almost the day after. Like, Disney buys Pixar in 2006, and like the next day, we're doing sequels. We're the sequel factory. And the first movie that went into development under new management was, yes, their Toy Story 3. Because if you're going to do it, you want to make sure it's done with the people that have been there all along. And they've tried to keep this team together. I mean, most of the people that were there in the early 90s putting Toy Story 1 together are here. All the ones that are still alive. We did lose Jim Varney along the way. Yeah, he died just a couple months after 2. But no 
Lassiter, this Unkrich guy, is the new director. He was always there, too. He started as an editor. He was a co-director on part two. And yeah, so now I think because Lassiter had so many things in the fire, and I think Lassiter's baby was Cars. Yeah, he would have Cars, too, the next year. You know, I'm sure he was involved. But yes, for lots of reasons, it seemed right that Unkrich would take over. Well, you know, Rachel's Lele was there for five Nightmare on Elm Street films that didn't make six the best. But... <laughs> The thing with the sequel factory out of Disney, I had this conspiracy theory when Disney bought Pixar in 06, and I don't know that in 13 years there's been much to disprove it, but I always felt that Disney was very jealous of Pixar because Disney had been on top of the world with animation, and then Pixar came along and stole their thunders. You see that Meet the Robinsons? That looked like characters from Toy Story 1. It Not good. Well, yeah, then Disney started getting into the CG animation and directly competing with Pixar. And then finally they bought Pixar and suddenly Pixar was going to be doing Finding Dory and Toy Story 3 and Cars 2. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, you're taking your original talent and putting the Disney moniker on it, aren't you? And you're just letting Pixar be Pixar. Yeah, of the last 11 films they've made, seven have been sequels. See, I, that's what I kind of feel, is that they're not going to let Pixar grow. They're going to tamp it down, and the Disney Animation Studio, the classical one, although they're now all CG because they're trying to keep up, is going to have the new stuff, like Wreck-It Ralph, Tangled, and Frozen. And you know what? Toy Story is one to be very careful with. I get, like, yeah, let's crank out Cars 2, 3, 5, 10, because what I hear is they make a lot of money on the merchandise. It doesn't matter if the movie's good. But Toy Story, man, that's where they started. You want to get it right. And Toy Story 2 was even better than the first. It really was a challenge for them to, at the very least, match what had been done before or not shame the series. And when Pixar stepped up and said, no, we'll do three, they didn't look at any of the work, any of the screenplays, any of the notes that that other animation house had started with their version of three. They're like, we're going to start fresh. We're bringing our people in. We're going to tell our story. Now, also, they brought this out with great fanfare. It was the first one in 3D, and they did a re-release of Toy Story 1 and 2 in 3D. I did not get a chance to watch this in 3D. Has anyone seen it in 3D? Well, I said I begrudgingly saw Toy Story 2. I was dragged there by my family. After that, I was someone that looked forward to a Pixar film, Finding Nemo, all of those. I was there opening weekend, except Cars. Sorry, I just <laughs> didn't do anything for me. I did eventually watch it at home. But yeah, Toy Story 3, I was there opening weekend, and I did see it in 3D. It had a lot of sequences that I could feel would have been good in 3D. I remember it looking good in 3D. I mean, again, this is almost 10 years ago, but I remember enjoying it in 3D. I didn't go to theaters. You know, I was late to the party. I was kind of like Andy. I feel like I outgrew it. It wasn't that I at any point felt like Pixar had lost its edge. It was me, not them. I was living in LA. I was doing other things and making time for a movie like that. I had no children around in my life to like drag me into that. No nieces or nephews. And so I think the only reason I rented it was because this ended up getting a Best Picture nomination. Two Best Picture nominations. Best Picture and Best Animated. Well, Best Animated, they always have a lock on that category. I feel like they created that category to give Oscars to Pixar. Yeah, but no, this was only the third animated film to get a Best Picture nod. That's the big deal, when you can actually not be put in the animation ghetto, but be considered as good as anything else. Beauty and the Beast had done it. What was the other one? Up. Another Pixar film got that nomination. Uh, it is one of my favorite Pixar, so okay, good choices. 
And so, yes, this made a ton of money. They spent a ton of money. It should be said $200 million budget is nothing like the measly $30 million they had for the 1995 film. But they also made over $400 million just in the United States alone. Add all the merchandising and licensing and home video sales. And this thing is a phenomenon in and of itself. Yeah, I remember that theater being packed. Yeah, I remember the announcements of how much this was taking from the box office. Huge success. This is my first time seeing the film. (laughs) You're the newbie. No shame in that. Yeah, you made it clear that you're fair weather when it comes to Pixar. Yeah, and also, I remember, though, in 2010, we were doing Now Playing, and people were asking for us to do a Pixar retrospective or a Toy Story retrospective back then. This got so much press and so much money that I was interested in seeing it, but... My attitude was, I haven't even seen two yet. I can certainly wait for video on this. I never expected I'd wait nine years for video for this, but yeah. Well, Arnie, why don't you give him the plot and we'll learn the story of Toy Story 3. Many years have passed since the last Toy Story. Andy is now 17 years old. We finally get a lock on that age. Mm -hmm. Andy's going to college. His toys have lived unplayed with in a trunk in Andy's room. The toys that are left. Over the years, many of the toys were sold in yard sales, thrown away, or donated. The remaining toys are the stars of the previous two films, Woody, plus Jesse and Bullseye from Woody's old toy line. Then there's Buzz Lightyear, the Dinosaur Rex, the Slinky Dog, Piggy Bank Ham, and Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head and their adopted alien children. Andy's mom is making him clean out his room and decide what to do with all his old toys. He decides to take Woody to college with him, but the rest he puts in a garbage bag to store in the attic. Andy's mom mistakes the garbage bag for trash and throws out the toys, and Woody tries to rescue his friends and get them to go to the attic, but they think they were meant to be garbage, so they climb into the box of toys to be donated to Sunnyside Daycare, along with Molly's old Barbie doll. At the daycare, everything seems wonderful. Kids play with the toys all day long. The Sunnyside toys welcome the new arrivals with open arms, and their leader is friendly teddy bear Lotso Huggin', or just Lotso. Buzz and the other toys are excited for this new home, and Barbie meets Ken and his dream house and is instantly in love, and Woody leaves to return to Andy and go with him to college. But Woody's escape is stymied when he's found by Bonnie, a student at Sunnyside who takes Woody home. There, Woody learns from the other toys that Sunnyside wasn't quite as pleasant as it appeared. All the new toys, all of Woody's friends, are put in the preschool room where they're horribly abused by the unruly underage tots. Woody goes back to Sunnyside to rescue his friends and arrives to find Buzz Lightyear has had his memory reset and now he's Lotso's enforcer, keeping all the toys in cells at night and awaiting their abuse the next day. Woody and the other toys try to reset Buzz, but put him in Spanish mode. But he teams with the other toys to escape Sunnyside and starts to romance Jesse as well. Aided by Barbie, who betrays Ken, the toys try to make their escape, but end up with Lotso in the daycare's garbage dump. They're taken to an incinerator where Lotso saves himself and leaves the other toys to burn, but the aliens use the claw and save the toys from the blaze. Lotso is found by a garbage collector who ties the evil bear to the front of his truck's grill, and the rest of their toys make their way back to Andy's to happily go to the attic and await Andy to have kids of his own who could play with them. But Woody changes the toy's fate, writing a note for Andy that the toy should go to Bonnie and Woody stows away with his friends, choosing to go be part of Bonnie's life instead of to college with Andy. It's a tear-jerking moment as Andy introduces all the toys to Bonnie, and even decides to part with Woody when Andy sees how enamored Bonnie is with the pull-string cowboy. Andy plays with his toys one last time, 
playing with Bonnie, and then leaves the toys at their new home as credits roll. And tears roll. Oh my god. I forgot that ending. God. Don't remind me. I don't want to cry on the podcast. (laughs) Here's what I knew. I knew that a lot of people, and I think, Jacob, you were one of them, said that they cried in this movie. And I kind of went in, and I was like, okay... I'm kind of steeled. I've enjoyed the past two movies, but I just, I don't think you're going to wrestle tears from me. And then I watched this movie and I'm like, the hell was everybody crying about? Then we get to the end. And you <laughs> you said this was nominated and up were nominated for Best Motion Pictures. Both of those had me ugly crying. The two Pixar movies that made you cry. Oh, not just cry. <laughs> ugly cry. I mean, I had tears on my eyes when Captain America got old in Endgame. No, here I mean ugly cry. Marjorie was like hugging me and asking if I was going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I did remember it. People were like, oh, that ending. And I was like, they're always good. I couldn't remember the ending. I remembered more of the beginning. You know, when you watch something on video and you don't have the same expectations you do when you paid a ticket price, you don't experience the movie in the same way. So what I remembered was more of the setup here. We start in a Western, a full-blown Lone Ranger style. This is what Walt Disney was headed towards with their new franchise, Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger, (laughs) this is Wild Wild West with Will Smith. (laughs) No, this is a redo of that original opening in Toy Story. They did not have the technology to do something this great looking and this action packed, but Slinky Dog doing the force field, like all those callbacks are here. It just looks so much better. The callback that made me know this was the same exact scene is Mr. Potato Head with the weird line, ooh, money, money, money. You know, it was just a line that stuck out to me in the first one. And yeah, this, my God, I just can't say enough about the graphics of this film. I need to put it up front. Everything here is absolutely gorgeous. The rendered textures, just to watch the evolution from the first Toy Story, which was very, very good, but it did have its limitations, to this that there's no limitations anymore. Yeah, they always talked about on the commentary for the other ones, like they love the barrel of monkeys and, you know, they have that line, not enough monkeys. And here, they got enough monkeys. But the animation, like they drop an A-bomb of monkeys? (laughs) Just mind-blowing, like the tech that must have gone behind animating all of these. I'm sure there's a lot of cut and paste, but man, it still looks beautiful. It's little things like when we see the train go off the tracks and Jessie is in the foreground, but they've gone through the trouble of putting her out of focus. Like that's just the depth of field was narrow on the train. Every little visual detail here has me in awe. I know we've talked about how good the animation is when we did Incredibles 2 and when we did Wreck-It Ralph, but here, because we've just done all three in three weeks, I'm stunned at the shading, the shadow, every little detail. I lose it. I become accustomed to it by half an hour into the film. But this opening, I'm just flabbergasted at how far it's come. Yeah, it's been 15 years since we had the first one. And they definitely, I mean, I knew they could do the toys, although they rebuilt them all. All these models, they just started from square one. They didn't take the old models and say, well, tweak them. They rebuilt Buzz and Woody and all of that. But the humans, I mean, that was always the thing they tried. Like, try not to look at Andy. Try not to see Molly give facial reactions because they're no good. Here, they're just as good. Pixar has finally beat the people problem that it had. 
And I think it beat it long before this movie. I mean, Incredibles was very good as far as humans went. I wouldn't say long. I'd say Incredibles. Like, you look at Boo and Monsters, Inc. Uh, It's a little Molly from Toy Story 1. (laughs) One thing I could tell they completely redesigned... Is it me or does Woody move a little like Kermit the Frog? When Woody is running from the monkeys here, and for the rest of the movie, every time he runs, his arms start flapping and his limbs are so flappy. It just, it gave me a Kermit the Frog vibe. Yeah, I got more of a marionette vibe. You know, we found out that is his origin from that TV show, and it did feel like they tried to animate him more like a marionette in this film. I agree with all the things you guys are saying. I have nothing but compliments, but... I do want to throw out there, let's see if you guys agree with me. There is one thing that is not as good as it used to be. Buzz Lightyear. Am I wrong? Like, the first movie was all about how he was this arrogant guy. First of all, just his name, Buzz Lightyear. Obviously a reference to the second guy on the moon, Buzz Aldrin, who I have had the misfortune to go see and speak at a public event. It's the most disappointing person I may have ever met. Well, that's because no one said he faked the moon landing, so he didn't get to punch anyone. (laughs) There is video of that. Oh, yeah, I can believe it. The man is so arrogant and self-important, and you can't get him to talk about Apollo 11. I mean, he just, he'll sit there and opine about everything on the planet and never talk about space. You're just like, oh, my God, what a windbag. But I think that they designed their Buzz Lightyear on not just his name, but his personality. And he had a lot to learn about being humble and a part of the group in the first movie. And they've never given him anything new to do. In this movie, he gets a bit with being Spanish, but he does not have a character arc. I'll give you this, that I feel like with Buzz, they feel he works best when he believes he's real. And they go back to that. They brought in another Buzz in part two. They're going to reset him here. So he goes into demo mode. I mean, and that is kind of the defining trait for Buzz. That was his character arc in one. So they're always finding a way to kind of get him back there. For me, there's a lot of humor in that. He's almost like a straight man when he thinks he's real. And there's humor there for me. So I don't mind it so much. But you're right. They do keep playing that arc over and over with him. All right, this is what hit me with this third movie and seeing trailers for part four. It's the same movie time and time again. Buzz has to think he's real. The toys have to get back home. This is their third time out. And yeah, I'm going to say some kind things about this, but I'm kind of tired of the toys are lost and have to get back home story. Can I tell kind of a PG-13 story for this G-rated film? Like after I saw this, I was doing just a lot of comic work on my own. And I did, I was doing a series of like just three or four panel strips based on movies. And I did do one on this because I'm like, okay, every Toy Story, the toys think they're getting thrown out. And it's always a misunderstanding. And I was like the whole basis of the comic. They go and they run under Andy's mom's bed to hide. So they're not thrown out again. Where they meet some adult toys, if you know what I mean. <laughs> some A single mom would have under the bed. But that was like the punchline. But yes, I even... Even noticed that trope after watching this and enjoying this series back in 2010. Like I had to make a comic about it because it's always kind of the same inciting incident. They misunderstand Andy and they go out on their own and they have an adventure when they were wanted all along. I actually think that's good. The homogeny is actually something I compliment. It's what makes it feel cohesive. I mean, we want trilogies to feel like they're all part of the same cloth. You don't want the third one to be something radically different. That would be a betrayal of the stories that they've told. But at this point, with the exception of Andy going to college, I could rewatch the other two and get the same thing out of it as I get out of the entire daycare storyline and Lotso here. 
yeah, for me, the details are in how they characterize the villain. And also at the beginning here, we find out Andy playing with his toys. This is all on a VHS tape and we get Randy Newman singing. You got a friend in me again. But where does that song end? It fades on friendship will never die. And it's very like almost slow the tape down. So, you know, it goes slow mo and it's foreboding. Yeah, they're going to get separated again and have a similar adventure, but it feels darker to me. Yeah, well, they've reached the logical conclusion. I mean, it was what they were talking about at the end of Toy Story 2 of like, there's going to be a day where we aren't going to be these love playthings. That's where we start on this movie. It's not just that, Stuart. Like, one of the things I noticed, Toy Story 1, we get a mention of Al's toy barn. That becomes a big thing in 2. And then in 2, I believe it's Stinky Petey's like, your owners are going to forget about you and you're going to end up in the incinerator. And I feel like someone saw that line and they're like, ah, there we go. There's our next film. This is where I have a big compliment is I... I'm the newbie. I'm not doing any of the research. You guys say that they didn't have this movie planned and they brought in different writers and everything. But the way these movies flow together and the way things set up in two pay off in three or set up in one pay off in two make this feel like it's really well planned out. So kudos to the writing team for their continuity in between. It does feel like a saga. Yeah, and some of that has to do with the fact that they have so many ideas. Workshopping the original movie, there was things they couldn't get into the film. You know, originally it was going to be all on the road with them trying to get back to Andy. Well, some of those ideas were, well, they could stop at a daycare. Hold on to that idea for 15 years and suddenly you have a movie where you can put it. So that's why some of the people that have story credit on this go all the way back to the original movie. So some of these ideas are as old as Toy Story itself. And I think we do see a setup for part four. We get this scene where the toys are trying to get Andy's attention. They're stealing his cell phone and then calling it from the house phone. So he's got to dig through the toy box and find it. And we find out that... Not all the toys are here. They're going to have a staff meeting just like they did in part one. And Bo Peep is gone. Ah, if you've seen the trailer for four, you know, we're going to find out about where she went. But Etch is gone. Wheezy is gone. We see the Army men. They're jumping out the window, abandoning ship, going AWOL. Wheezy got junked. I'm here to say that thing <laughs> should have been gotten rid of. And no tears were shed the day he went away. And I'm surprised that the claw aliens haven't decomposed. Those things are usually cheap plastic. But yeah, the Army men, I forgot Arlie Ermey was still alive back then. I'm like, they got a really good sound alike. But no, he died in just the past few years. So this was Arlie Ermey back reprising his role again. Yeah, and they set the tone for whatever everyone's anxiety level is. Like... All right, how are you going to face retirement? The day is here. Yeah, you, you check your value out on eBay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ham is like, what are we worth? And the army guys are going AWOL because they know they're the first ones that get junked. And suddenly Rex, who was always the neurotic, is like, wait, it's a possibility we might end up in a garbage bag? Sure enough, the mom is ordering her son before he goes to college, sort him out between what is going with you, going into the attic, and going into the trash. And it's not a long moment of suspense, but the moment I saw him grab a garbage bag and put toys in it, even though he wanted it to go to the attic, I'm like, oh, I see where that garbage bag is going to go. It's going to be a misunderstanding. The only surprise to me is that he was going to keep Woody. He still has that attachment. He was going to take Woody to college. I remember my first freshman year in college, choosing what you take and what you leave was a big thing for me. And I was heavily into Twin Peaks and I decided, all right, I'm going to take my coffee pot, my Twin Peaks book and a Twin Peaks poster. But I was also into Star Trek. None of that stuff came and things. So 
I understand bringing a single toy to keep on a dorm room shelf. I started collecting in college. I had a lot of toys on my shelf. I'm sure by the end of Andy's four years, Woody would smell like beer and bong water. <laughs> Andy is at that critical moment. That's the really the way to think of it. Is he's not quite cool with leaving. Yeah, for the most part, he is on the laptop, is certainly looking older, has a room where there aren't that many toys, but when he looks in that box, his instinct is, I don't want that to go away yet. And I do think that's how you feel when you're on your way off to college. And I do love the visual storytelling that Pixar does so well in this film. As you look at Andy's room now, he's got rock band posters and a guitar and video games, but he's still got that toy box in the corner. And that just tells a lot to me that he's grown up, he has different interests, but here's something he's quite not ready to let go. Even though Molly, his sister, she's ready to get rid of that Barbie, but he's not quite ready to let go of these toys. Yeah, that is a stage of development for girls. It's like its own phase. The the moment when you say, I'm too cool for Barbie. And yeah, she's having to clear out too. And I love Ham. He's like, I want the Corvette. (laughs) (laughs) I really relate to Andy at this point. I never got rid of any of my old toys. I have now, but I mean, when I was a kid, when I was done with toys, my mom would try to garage sale them or try to goodwill them. And I would box them up and hide them at my godparents' house. Yes. And I had crates and crates of Transformers and He-Man and Manglors and everything. I couldn't get rid of them. Do you still have them? Finally, when I got married, my godparents were very happy to say, take your stuff. Mm. And then I had some hard choices. And the plus side, I still have every Star Wars toy that I played with as a kid. The downside? Well, if you consider this a downside, I made like $1,000 selling vintage Transformers. So I did part with them. But... To be honest, it was a little heartbreaking to part with them. Every toy that I was listing on eBay, I have memories of, fond memories of. And when I was a kid, I was six or seven, and I had a swing set outside, and it got rusty and things. But I remember my parents putting it together for me. They called somebody to haul it away. I cried when the swing set went away. I cried when we got rid of my German Shepherd. I was a very emotional child who had become very attached to living and inanimate objects, and I didn't want any of them to go. Yeah, I take it as metaphor. I never had a whole lot of actual action figures and toys. And again, when you're friends with Arnie, there's no point. (laughs) You don't need to. He has them all. You go and buy one Smurf and you come in and he's got the whole mushroom village. It's like, well, then I'll just come over and there are the toys. So I still relate to this conflict because it's not about bringing a literal toy. It's what are you going to bring from the life that you're leaving into a new place where you're going to try to make new friends and form a new identity. And it's just a sticky, peculiar moment. And I think this is just a wonderful way to begin the story. Andy's anxiety is not so different from his toy's anxiety. They just don't know it. I just wish that we could... Get some backstory. We've wondered from the very beginning, why does Andy have this 1950s puppet? Andy's going to say later in this film, he's had Woody since before he can remember. I think it would mean more as for why he would take it, not just because it's a favorite toy, but yes, did it come from this mysterious father figure? Was it the father's toy handed down a generation? Because what these toys are hoping for is what? 
five to ten, maybe twenty years in purgatory of the attic, and then Andy will have a kid and pull these dusty toys back down for the new kid to play with. They have all different kinds of feelings, but Woody is Andy's advocate. He believes Andy knows best. I don't know what my future is, but I'm going to do what that kid wants me to do because we're best friends and we have that level of trust. And for the other toys... That goes away when they wind up in the other bag. Woody can have this feeling about Andy because Andy still wants to hold on to him. Andy is going to take him to college. The other ones are going into the attic and then through a mix-up, they actually almost end up in the garbage. Is this Sid that shows up as a garbage man? I thought he was going to get in a STEM career, that he was going to be an engineer. He is really creative with how he took those toys apart and put them back together. But this garbage man has that same Sid skull shirt. It seemed a little cruel, right? All right, Sid was kind of villainous, but the fact that he's a garbage man, does this feel like a critique? Excuse me, but I have great respect for sanitation engineers. But society does not. I mean, sanitation work, yeah, you can make a decent living, and we definitely need them, but calling someone a garbage man is, I think, a slam. And again, Pixar's never said, oh, this is Sid, but it's heavily implied. I don't know, at least he's enjoying the job, he's rocking out, he's able to play some air drums, so as long as Sid's happy, I'm happy, I guess. Maybe he's taking a gap year, I I don't know. (laughs) Maybe he brings home garbage and still doing installation art, like the stuff he was doing with toys, he's doing bigger pieces now. I don't know. They don't belabor it, but I'm 100% sure that is adult Sid. If nothing else, Sid was always in danger of destroying Andy's toys, and here it almost comes to fruition again, save for the fact that Rex has a very sharp tail that can puncture the garbage bag, and they all manage to get to the car where they've decided to mutiny. We're not going to go back into the attic. We don't trust Andy really wants us around. We're going to sneak into Molly's box that is headed to Sunnyside Daycare. And comforting poor old Barbie, who, yes, is just beside herself because she has been cast away by, I don't know, how old would we say Molly is? Ten? I think she's like four years, five years younger. She had to be like two when Andy was seven or eight. Yeah, she was talking and yeah, Andy was somewhere between six and eight. If Andy's 17, I'd put her at the tween years between 11 and 13. That's about the right time to put away the Barbie doll and start being interested in real boys. Well, if nothing else, you start to wonder what everyone else is into and you realize it's uncool to still identify as a child. And so we work our way away from that identity for some period of time. What's surprising to me is... I mean, Woody does have favored status. He gets to go to college. So the fact that he's so willing to leave the others behind, he wants them to be in the attic and safe, but he doesn't seem too tore up about, hey, Jesse, I'm not going to be seeing you anymore, even though we're cowpokes from the same toy line. He's more upset that they're mutinying. I mean, he's trying to talk them into, let's hide under the car seat and get back to the house. And then maybe he can allow himself to tear up at the thought of his friends going to the attic. But right now, they're talking crap about Andy. They're saying that Andy threw them away and they don't believe Woody when he's trying to explain it was all a misunderstanding. He also has his own ideas about daycare. To him, it's kind of how many people feel about nursing homes. You go there and it's just a very sad, dark place this movie the opening does feel a lot about college and moving on to that stage of life 
But when they get to Sunnyside, first of all, Sunnyside does sound like a retirement community. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, this movie becomes about aging and death to me. It no longer is about college. Yeah, no, this is all about aging and getting older and are you useful? I also think it's about what kind of relationships do you want? These toys are so desperate to be played with. Are they willing to go through this abusive relationship with preschoolers? Yeah, and when are you not someone's toy anymore? I mean, Woody can't conceive of not being Andy's toy. And it's Buzz who says Mission Andy is over. We did that and we did it well, but there are other things to do in life. And that's kind of how people treat retiring from their job. You know, some people are like, great, I have more time to do other things. And other people are like, I can't give up my job. I have to work until I die. So I feel like it does say a lot. This movie has a lot to say about people in midlife, old age crisis. But when they get to Sunnyside, the movie I'm thinking about is Cocoon because it looks like this retirement area, you never grow old. You never die. You get played with every day. You know how your parents might have told you your dog went to a farm where he has a lot of land to run on? And Buster looks like he's about to go to this farm in this <laughs> film. He is old. I guess dog years, they age really quick. It reminded me of my own dog because she's 14 now. And yeah, she's slow and fat and doesn't move much. What's always impressed me with Toy Story, and especially this one, is that for those young kids... Here's a, a silly little fun movie about how toys think. And so you, yeah, how would toys react going to this daycare center where there's an unending supply of children? And if that's your use to make children happy, then this seems like a great thing. But then, yeah, there are the deeper levels. But I do enjoy that it's not all just dark growing up feelings that we're going to be discussing throughout this film. That there's also that fun and just, yeah, how do toys react to these kind of situations? Getting into the mind of a toy. Yeah, you definitely want to be in the butterfly room if you're going to Sunnyside. That is what we find out that there are two areas inside this place for two different age groups is what I think it is. When you're in the caterpillar room, this is your worst nightmare. These are the kids that have never learned their manners yet, who are hyper, who are roughhousing it, who are going to throw you around, who still love you, but not in the way that Andy loved them. And so, yeah, it's really, really abusive when all the toys make the decision that they are going to stay at Sunnyside. Woody leaves them. They start to think Woody might have had a point. Well, they get sold a bad bill of goods by Lotso. He is very friendly. Ned Beatty doing the voice here seems like a very friendly grandpa type character. You know, you could get massages and we'll restuff you. And so, yeah, go to this room and enjoy the rest of your life. We're going to find out if the whole system is rigged. Is Lotso supposed to be a reference to a bear line? At first, when they said he smells like strawberries, I was thinking Care Bear, but he doesn't have the big symbol for the Care Bear stare or anything. Yeah, that's copyright infringement. <laughs> so uh, maybe they didn't get permission. Yeah, I just took it as it's not a Teddy Ruxpin. You can't put a tape in him and have him talk, though I'm sure Disney put out a toy like that of Lotso. But yeah, I just took him as a Care Bear type. He's fluffy and purple and smells like strawberries. Yeah, and that smell of strawberries masks the pervasive self-hatred that is wafting off him even here. In his opening scene, he's greeting them with open arms and big hugs, but listen to what he's saying. Andy can't hurt you no more. We're all cast-offs here. We're masters of our own fate. Like, he is just oozing, despising humanity. I think the comparison is Stinky Pete, and that was a character that was bitter because kids didn't want him. He was sat on that shelf for years. Lotso 
he has a different kind of rejection that he's dealing with. And it is much darker. And I just feel like it is almost more true to life. Like that girlfriend and boyfriend breaks up with you. And, and how do you react? And we'll get more into his backstory. But there is a, a real darkness to Lotso and how he has decided to cope with the rejection in his life. Not only his words, but I knew Lotso was not to be trusted. When I saw that creepy ass baby that follows him around with the one lazy eye. No, big baby... Okay, my 12-year-old, she has a doll just like this with the cloth body and then the plastic limbs. And does she have the creepy eye? Its eyes are broken, but someday they will. But she loves her Bobby Joe, as she calls it. So Big Baby just feels very real to me because we have a Big Baby in our house. Yeah, that toy is in every playroom ever. That is the doll that if you have one doll, that's the one that you get. Being a boy, I didn't have that doll, but man, that was as creepy as anything in Sid's room with the cannibal toys. I knew that baby was not to be trusted, and if that baby was following Lotso, Lotso was evil. But I couldn't figure out how. I mean, we meet Ken and Ken and Barbie and the dream house. I like that Ken thinks it's his dream house. It's Ken's (laughs) dream house. Do you think they were doing a Wayne's World reference, though? Because when Ken and Barbie see each other, they play Dreamweaver, and that's what, when Garth saw Donna Dixon who's actually Dan Aykroyd's wife, they'd always play Dreamweaver at that moment. I don't know that it's a direct reference. Maybe that song is just really, really cheap. And since they're going to a dream mansion, Dreamweaver fits as well as anything. Yeah, I love how they interact. Love your leg warmers. Nice ascot. Yeah, Michael Keaton, I didn't recognize him in the voice. I had to find that out later. He's not recognizable. Sometimes you can place a voice, and Keaton wasn't one that I picked out here. He seems to emulate the sheen of a vacuous himbo. <laughs> who, yeah, has, this is very subversive. Of course Barbie needs to be with Ken. This is going to be a wonderful relationship, and she doesn't know. Because they hit it off so well at the beginning, she doesn't spend the day in the caterpillar room she's in the butterfly room where all the smarter toys know that they get treated with respect and not too much roughhousing so she has no idea what's happening to her friend woody does leave and is taken by bonnie and i was trying to figure out who is bonnie is bonnie like the daughter of somebody who owns it because it looks like bonnie is leaving as the daycare is opening My impression is, because Andy's mother comes in and recognizes the woman there who takes the toys and takes them back into the back room, that this is a woman that runs the daycare. And Bonnie is her child, who is now of age to be there, maybe even a little younger, but she's there not just because she's enrolled, she's there because her mother runs the place. That's what I took it as. I couldn't even tell if she was enrolled at the daycare or if she was just the daughter of the owner. We'll see a teacher looking for her later on to take her home. So, yeah, she does go there. And, yeah, I guess her mom works there, too. I don't know. Maybe they just know Andy and family because they live around the corner. We'll find out. Yeah, it's nebulous, but she is there leaving. And Woody has made this incredible escape where he's hijacked a kite on a roof and climbed up the toilet paper roll to the window, just done all of this stuff to get away and winds up the possession of a new child who... It's interesting. You could have initially thought this was the same fate as the other toys, but she's sweet. I mean, I think she's got a great imagination. He's annoyed because he's not with Andy, but I think he could enjoy. And I think we even see a smile pop up on his face as the tea party goes on. 
There is definitely a shot when he's thrown into the air. And again, Arnie, you were saying how they would use soft focus. They go soft focus and there's stars and picks are very good at just these little visual moments that tell me everything. And yeah, when that moment happens, I'm like, okay, I think he might be okay staying with Bonnie, though he has lost his hat. And darn these movies, like the fact that when he loses his hat, I'm like, oh my, that gives me anxiety (laughs) at this point. Like, no, he has to be complete. That hat means so much to him. And the fact that he loses it when Bonnie finds him, I'm like, oh no. How's that going to come back? Is that just us, Jacob, because we're collectors? Stuart, did the hat bother you? Because for me, I was also very, oh no, what about the hat? It wasn't even completion. It was like that hat was a big deal in part two. You got to have that whole set. For me, that is just part of Woody's character is he's got to have that cowboy hat. Yeah, I didn't experience it in terms of a toy accessory. For me, I saw it just as a metaphor of, you know, now that I'm well into middle age here, you realize how much of it is about losing stuff just not being as good as you used to and things that you had just go away. And yeah, this is the process of aging. That something that used to be part of my strongest identity, I don't have anymore. It feels appropriate. My other question about Bonnie... Is she just really entitled and she steals toys from this daycare? Because she's got a whole bunch of toys that the way this movie presents it, they were rescued because they were horribly treated by Lotso at the daycare. But is Bonnie just like, I like this toy. It's my toy now. She's rescuing toys that are going to get thrown out. Chuckles the Clown, we found out he got torn and he's going to get thrown out. So she took him home, sewed him back together. Woody, he... I guess he's on the grounds of Sunnyside. He's hanging from a tree stuck from that pole string. I don't know if that's theft. Like, she doesn't know that belongs to Sunnyside. I I feel like she's the kind-hearted one. And so either these toys that we're going to meet, they're her own that she received as gifts, or there are ones that were going to be discarded and she took home and mended. Yeah, and again, I'm just complimenting on her imagination because when she hears Woody say somebody's poisoned the water well, she's able to run with that and do a whole riff on it's a scary witch that's poisoned the jelly bean bird and again it's different than what Andy would do but it's just as enthusiastic and you do feel like well yeah maybe there is life after Andy I mean that's something Woody was not willing to think about when he walked away from his friends he called them selfish and now he's thinking maybe they were right both camps are now seeing the other side even though we do get the smile and the fun of being played with his intent is always still get back to Andy get back to Andy very single minded get back to Andy you know he's just kind of like the monogamist at the swingers party like he just (laughs) I can't go with all of this I've got one idea and that's there's only one person that can love me and I am Andy's toy and indeed Andy hasn't released him yet either Andy was going to take him so that's gotta play mind games on you and we do get some new toys with Bonnie we get Mr. Prickle Pants did you recognize the voice I looked it up afterwards I certainly would never have <laughs> believed anyone talk about a lost toy Timothy Dalton the Bond no one played with yes I had to look it up too he was more British than I've ever heard Timothy Dalton be I mean again we talked about him with Hot Fuzz I love him in that I've come to like him from the James Bond era but I've never heard him do such a proper butlerish, you know, English accent. It's his theater voice. Yeah, I do love how stuffy this little hedgehog looks. Way better than that Sonic. I guess they're fixing Sonic. You guys don't have to do that till Valentine's Day now, but this weird hedgehog and Lederhosen's? I don't get what this toy is, but I like Timothy Dalton's performance. Again, I see this as part of her imagination. The fact that she would dress a hedgehog in German attire just shows that she's got a <laughs> mind that thinks outside the box. 
And then we got Trixie, another dinosaur, Triceratops, who I guess she's like chatting it up online. We'll see at one point she goes on the computer and she's getting instant messages. <laughs> you know, we didn't have a lot of this. It's true. Of course, there was the internet in 1999, but young children didn't have the access. It wasn't everything they wanted to do back then. So it is interesting to now that we see these toys and the way that Woody's going to get home is, yeah, to Google it, basically, to get the address <laughs> and, and MapQuest. Are we going to get Toy Tinder in part four? You know what? I don't know how they couldn't <laughs> ignore it. I mean, social media and the internet have become such a large part of everyone's life, starting at age, God, probably younger than they should, but at least three, it's unavoidable. And the voice for Trixie, I recognize the voice. I wouldn't know her name without looking it up, but Bob's Burgers, I absolutely love that cartoon. I have not watched that. <laughs> oh, it's really funny. I started watching it because I knew a guy who worked on it, and I'm like, oh boy, I'm going to watch this thing for my friend you know and bob's burgers but it's no it's really funny and she plays the daughter louise belcher the voice actress is Kristen shawl and i also saw her on the last man on earth tv series if you watch that i i dropped out of that show pretty quick but she's memorable and the other voice there i knew i'm sticking with the goldbergs even though its quality is down the <laughs> father from the goldbergs jeff garland is the voice of buttercup that's the unicorn Yes, that's the unicorn. Yeah, the little unexpected casting there. You usually think of a feminine voice for a unicorn. Yes. <laughs> and then you do get, I think, Bonnie's version of the Martians. You get these peas in a pod, these three peas, very cute, childish voice. And yeah, they're, they're in their little pod. You have Dolly, who's like a raggedy Ann. And then... A Miyazaki reference. Like, this blew my mind when I saw this. You have Totoro. I don't know if you've seen my neighbor Totoro. It's considered just a classic, one of his best. He doesn't speak at all. He doesn't really speak in that film either. But you do get a Totoro doll. And I know Disney had a relationship with Studio Ghibli and would do the U.S. releases. So I thought that was fun to see Totoro hanging out in the background with that big smile. Marjorie's watching this with me and she's like, oh my God, Totoro. Does Disney own Totoro? And so she went down a rabbit hole on the phone right in the middle of the movie and yep, Disney owns Totoro. Yeah, and Miyazaki is known as the Japanese Walt Disney. Yeah. I think there is some respect being paid here. And then there, I do think, yeah, that Disney does. I don't know if they own him, but they've released some of those Ghibli movies. So they have a financial interest. They have some kind of distribution rights in the US. In children, yes, knowing the property and loving it. I didn't see it. I don't don't know what a Totoro is. She just got very excited about Totoro. I'm like, it doesn't talk. It doesn't exist. So I didn't know if it was real. I recognize it, but that's one of the Ghibli's I haven't seen. I've never seen. I've seen most of his work. Yeah, it skews very young, but all those Ghibli films, just the animation alone is fun to watch. Yeah, I'd certainly give it a shot. But I do like Chuckles here. I mean, he's a creepy clown. He's got the weird voice, but he's going to tell the story of what really happens at Sunnyside. Yeah, in parallel, Buzz is finding out for himself that Lotso isn't the sweet bear you might have hoped. And yeah, Chuckles is the one that goes back with him all the way to Daisy. They were all, both owned by this girl, as well as Big Baby. All three of them were the Christmas playthings of a child who loved them, who never got tired of them. In fact, loved them so much that when they got lost, they were on the road. The way the story plays is that she fell asleep in the car. They got left behind at a truck stop and they had to walk home. And by the time they got there, the parents had bought a new Lotso bear and that is what broke this Lotso. 
And I think it's a big deal that Lotso like actually walked all the way back and found very similar to Woody. Like Woody would have done this. Go on this adventure to get back to Andy. We see Lotso do that and it ends in heartbreak. And look, her owner, she'd be polyamorous. She'd probably be happy with two Lotsos, but he is so bitter. <laughs> he lets it poison him. You guys had your weird sex metaphors for toy ownership. Well, I'm just saying, I think a child wouldn't mind having two Lotsos. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's hard to know. I mean, I can think of some stuffed animals that I had that, you know, you get the birthday present. You wanted this thing and two people got it. And yeah, you wound up with two of them. Maybe you love on one a little more than the other. But yeah, the children will never know because he didn't give her the opportunity to reject him. And that's the key point, is that he gets so poisoned by this, he never finds out what would have happened. Daisy is the owner's name. We see Big Baby's wearing a name tag, pulls that off, and she's like, she's not your owner anymore. She doesn't want you. He poisons everyone around him, and there are people like this, and that's what's always been the strength of Toy Story, is they take these silly toys, and they give them very human emotions, and like, I've recognized myself sometimes, unfortunately, in this, and recognize other people I've known, where they just want to poison everyone around them, and turn them against whatever they feel rejected by. Yeah, because it's pointed out to Lotso, we didn't get replaced, you got replaced, but there's not another big baby in there, there's not another Chuckles in there, and Lotso's like, we all got replaced. I mean, it's like an instant turn, like something snaps inside of him, and the others go along with it out of fear or out of road weariness, I'm not quite sure. I do love that Big Baby ends up getting an arm tattoo. Like, it really goes brutal. (laughs) Right. And so he marches them off in the rain they wind up on a pizza planet delivery truck as toys are wont to do (laughs) and that's how they splashed up into sunnyside and i noticed when he's walking up to talk about untold backstories but just a little visual cue as he's walking up to sunnyside he does have a limp something has happened to him during these travels now walking that much yeah i definitely think that will break you and that's the point He is a broken toy. He's happy to meet you. He's happy to pull you into his toxicity so that you will be broken too. He doesn't want people to be happy here. He wants to break everything. Is that the case though? Because I think the toys in the butterfly room, they love their life. Yeah, but he decides who gets to go in that room. Yeah. I thought it was the freshman class get crapped upon and when new toys come some of the other toys will get to graduate to the butterfly room he doesn't want to be replaced he wants to be loved forever and that's what i think buzz finds out is that there is no getting out of this caterpillar room and around the same time mrs potato she's missing an eye and i guess like it's this weird i don't know it feels like the shining or something she could still see through that eye and this is where they also find out not that just lots is bad but that andy meant for them to go in the attic he wasn't going to throw them out because she could see that eye is like under the bed and she sees him looking for the toys it really bothers me that she could still see from that eye because in the last movie she gave mr potato head his angry eyes for the trip was he also staring at his own innards the entire trip (laughs) i don't want to think about it (laughs) it is my favorite conceit of the entire movie the fact that mr and mrs potato head can use their body parts independently we're gonna get some body horror in this film (laughs) later mr potato head's gonna put it on a tortilla or a pickle and become something different it took my breath away at how smart that was it was just wonderful but yeah what a great way to tell that information we need the toys to understand they made a mistake they know lotso is no good they need to understand that andy is and yeah having mrs potato head's missing eye confirm that andy is prowling around trying to find that garbage bag 
is everything we need to know now. Now they just have to escape, and Lotso is not having it. Buzz, it should be said, has had an adventure where he has been snooping around. He thinks by simply pleading his case, Lotso is a sensible bear. He will hear them and let them spend some more time in the butterfly room. He doesn't know that the game is rigged. They are going to be pummeled to death until they are thrown away in the garbage chute. And that's the way he wants it. And I love the henchmen. They're gambling, like, batteries on those. What were those called? Like a... The roulette wiggle is, yeah, a farmer in the yes. Dell toy. Monopoly money, of course, they're using that. Yeah, they've done great reprocessing of the toys we love. The Fisher-Price phone was a toy I had that I had completely forgotten about. And of course, he's the one that's like the loner because who's using a rotary phone in this day and age? (laughs) Yeah, you got to pick up that thing up to even hear him. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, we get bookworm here. It's a glowworm. I don't know if you remember those toys. I think we're probably too old to have glowworms, but... I remember like, wasn't it like a Betty Buy toy? I just remember the commercials. I didn't have one. Yeah, you hugged it while you slept and it would glow Uh and I guess keep you safe. Yeah, I remember the commercials. I thought they were bigger than this. <laughs> but I do like that the, this bookworm, as they're calling him. Yeah, he has all the instruction manuals. They're going to find out how to reset Buzz and make him a minion of theirs. And again, I'm just pointing out, like, these are all interesting bits, but this is not a great use of Tim Allen. Is it because he's not a big a star and Tom Hanks has retained his leading man status that they're giving the whole story to Woody? Well, they've, it's always been about Woody. We spent the whole last movie, I mean, learning all about his backstory and seeing his extended family. The first movie is an equal timeshare. If anything, it might be a little bit more buzz, the first movie. I feel like this one is more of an ensemble piece. I feel like the last one, they had to find a way to fit Buzz and the other toys into it by going and rescuing Woody. Here, I feel we're going to get a lot of parallels to The Great Escape, which is an ensemble film. You get all these actors, and they're all doing their bits. And I do feel like, yeah, Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head, they have bigger roles here. Jesse has a bigger role here. Maybe Buzz goes away a little bit, but I do feel like the other toys are expanded. On Barbie definitely gets a bigger role. Yeah, that's my point. Barbie is now bigger than Buzz. I think she has more of an arc. Buzz has more to do. When he becomes the enforcer, Buzz gets a lot of screen time, and it's like Jacob said. It's resetting him. Buzz back thinking he's real. But the closest we're going to get for an arc is some payoff to part two. When Jesse came back to Andy's room with Woody, we could tell that Buzz Lightyear was a little bit smitten with the cowgirl. And that's going to be the big thing here, is he doesn't have the bravery as Buzz Lightyear to tell her, but both as the enforcer and then later as the Spaniard. <laughs> Spanish buzz. <laughs> he's going to have that confidence to woo her. Yeah, he's hitting on Jesse even when he thinks he's real. He's locking her up, but he's smitten by her. Yeah, and suddenly, now we're into this movie, we got a prison break movie. Like, who knew that this is where they were going to? But this feels like something I just was not expecting. And a really good, better than Escape from Alcatraz, in my opinion. is. <laughs> oh, yeah, better than that. Not as good as The Great Escape, but better than Escape from Alcatraz. Yes, I'll give you that. Yeah, well, The Great Escape is the high bar. That's the best escape movie. Yes. Well, my favorite part is the Fisher Price, if you want to escape, you gotta stop that monkey. (laughs) And I'm thinking, well, it's one of those symbol monkeys that was ubiquitous back in the day. They freaked me out all because of that monkey shines. (laughs) Like These things always scared me as a kid. It was also on the cover of the Skeleton Crew book for Stephen King, so that creeped me out. But I'm like, why is this monkey? But all it does is make this ungodly noise. It is the perfect alarm monkey. (laughs) Yeah, and they set it up early. When Andy's mom walked into the daycare, the first toy that she sees is Bonnie holding that monkey. The monkey lives up front where 
where all the camera monitors are. So yes, exactly. It's loud and it's got eyes on everything. And not only do they have to scale a wall, not only do they have to get past roving troops and... They got to get the keys to unlock the doors because they're locked from both ways. This was really making me think of Mission Impossible, those movies that we reviewed, like when they had to steal the knock list because of all the various obstacles they'd have to overcome and the way it was a team mission to do it. And I'm saying that in a good way. I always liked those parts of the MI films. And it is a team mission at this point. Woody's returned and he's talked to that Fisher Price phone. He's told Woody about the monkey in the key so they know what to do. And that is the thing. They'll even call Woody out that that is his thing. He will always come to try to help save the day. I guess there's really two climaxes because usually you want to have everyone learn the lesson at the very end. But here with 40 more minutes to go, this is the longest Toy Story movie of them all. They already understand we stick together. That's the whole point that they needed to learn. Usually you underline that in the last five minutes. Here, an hour in, they realize our mistake was that you went off and did your thing and we thought we could go without you. No matter what happens in the future, we are going to work as a team. And what better way of demonstrating teamwork than the next 20 minutes as they bust out. And they put a ticking clock on this film because Andy's leaving the next day. So they have to get out this night so Woody could get back into that box and go to college with him. Right. So basically, Monkey First is Slinky Dog. We haven't really seen much of him. And again, some of that had to be the fact that they probably didn't want to give too much voice work to an actor that is not Jim Varney. Although this guy is pretty credible. He sounds just like the Slinky Dog of the last two movies. Until this recording, I didn't know it wasn't Jim Varney. Yeah, I talked about my relative that's a voice actor. And that's a lot of the work he'd get, like with those Lion King direct-to-video sequels. He was the voice of fake Matthew Broderick because he wasn't coming back to be Simba. So he would do his Matthew Broderick impression. <laughs> it's kind of a compliment and an insult. Yeah, I think, but these voice actor voice actors, not the ones that are celebrities, I think that is kind of how they make their living. I know, Arnie, you've talked to ones, they got to do their best Ewan McGregor to be Obi-Wan on the Clone Wars. And mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think this slinky dog, it's pretty seamless. And it's an actor I know, now that I know it's not Jim Varney, it's Blake Clark. If you've seen Adam Sandler's big films, he's in them. He was Drew Barrymore's dad in 51st Dates. He was the guy who you couldn't understand a word he said in The Water Boy. That was Adam Sandler, wasn't it? <laughs> well, true. But yeah, he's been in a lot of those movies. And he does. He has that Jim Varney-esque kind of Southern accent voice. Uh, that gravelly, lots of smoking voice. Yes. Yeah. Basically, he gets the scotch tape and quiets that monkey. They give a <laughs> signal to everyone else. They move the security camera back and forth real fast. And that lets them know they're in the control room. They can start all their various plans. Everyone goes to work. The one I respect the most is Barbie. Because we would think just by history... That that she would have been naive enough to go along with Ken's plan to enslave her friends. I would have assumed that she would have not liked it, but would have gone for the materialism because that was what Barbie was to me. Yeah, no, we get this whole montage, which makes sense with the Barbie, where Ken's showing off all his different outfits. He's got the astronaut and just all these different clothes. And it's a funny scene, but they use that to set up what Barbie's going to do. She's going to torture Ken by tearing up his clothes until he tells her how they could turn Buzz back so he knows he's a toy. But yeah, she's not going to be fooled. She has the upper hand on Ken and she knows how to get him. She knows how to wear his astronaut costume and walk up to the bookworm and... Still doesn't take those heels off, but I don't think she could. (laughs) 
Like, Barbie has those permanent feet that are just upright like they're in stilettos. And the bookworm sees Ken wearing heels and thinks, well, that's just Ken. He's into fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all a little annoyed with Ken. You can tell. They <laughs> keep him around, but nobody respects him. And Potato Head, he gets thrown in the hole, which is just the sandbox. And look, those sandboxes are nasty. I'm shocked this daycare actually covers theirs. Never let your kids go in the sand, like at a park. It's just full of animal poo, and it's filthy. I grew up with a sandbox that was uncovered in my front yard. Front yard? Front yard. And so I laughed a little too hard when Mr. Potato Head said it was some Lincoln Logs, and Slinky Dog's like, I don't think those were Lincoln Logs. Yeah, my sandbox was full of animal Yes. What does he do, though? Like, I love the fact that his arm crawls off and collects the tortilla from under the door. But in his tortilla form, what's he setting up for them? He is just the lookout. You'll see he is watching the butterfly room with Lotso and mm. his henchmen. Gotcha. But I, I love the animation when he's in that tortilla form. Again, to me, this is like body horror, seeing him flopping around with that tortilla. And you see like the pegs from his parts sticking out the other side. And then he gets attacked by a bird and gets torn up. Oh, yeah. This is nightmarish to me to see him torn in half and falling apart of those eyes. And I'm honestly worried for him. I'm like, he's going to get the potato body back, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to wind up back to normal. And certainly Buzz, like, this Spanish thing is a bit. Although it didn't have to be. On some level, he is more charming as the flamenco dancer than he has been as sort of this mushy, nondescript character he's become. Yeah, I love Spanish Buzz. Not Tim Allen. Like, where I'm watching this, my wife's like, that is way too fluent to be Tim Allen speaking this. I wondered, because, you know, they can practice a hell of a lot and have dialect coaches. I didn't know, but it was really good Spanish. They tried. He did go in the booth and record it, and they were like, well, Tim Allen speaks one language, and we're going to get someone that can speak <laughs> the language of the character. And he either went along with it or realized that he was not going to be able to learn it fast enough. For the sake of the movie, it was a better joke to let them go on without him, and there is another actor credited. But I do like Spanish buzz, and, you know, it's still buzz. He still thinks that he's going with them because they're taking him to his spaceship, and he's going to stop Zerg. It's always going back to that. Look, it's not the most progressive view <laughs> is very stereotypical as he's doing his dances and everything, but I'm laughing. I, I go with it. Yeah, and the behind-the-scenes featurette definitely shows you, hey, look, we got a Spanish animator to do all these moves, design all of this. These aren't white people mocking a culture. These so, are white people hiring a Spanish man to mock the culture. Well, yeah, however you want to look <laughs> at it. But they went as far as he was willing to take that joke and no further. At least the tortilla doesn't speak in a Spanish accent, too. Yeah, no, I loved all that. I think Mr. Potato Head is so much cooler that now that I realize that he has the ability to transcend <laughs> his body. It's cool. Well, you know, the original Potato Head was just the parts. You had to supply the potato. Oh. Like, he used a real potato for it. Oh, I did, I did not, not know that. No. Yeah, then later on, they came up with the plastic body. I'm sure that drew less bugs and lasted a little longer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, Mrs. Potato Head is into it. She's like, you lost weight, you're taller, I go for it. <laughs> this and so they make it everyone does their bit and they're almost out and all they got to do is get through the garbage chute and this is where they get busted that fisher price phone snitched didn't it they made him talk we don't see a torture scene but he alludes that they finally broke him yeah I don't know why they weren't trying to take him anyway. I mean, he was mobile. He had wheels. I thought that they shouldn't have left the one who gave them their plan there to be tortured and beaten by the preschoolers anyway. So the fact that they left him behind, yeah, he was tortured into talking and it's almost deserved. No, I didn't get the impression that they didn't invite him. I got the sense that he didn't believe it was possible. And why are yeah. these guys bothering? And I do think that they had to beat it out of him. 
So they're going to have this argument right over the dumpster. The good toys have slid down the garbage chute, but stopped short of the dumpster. And Lotso is standing on like the closed half of the dumpster. It's, you know, like arguing right by the brim of the Grand Canyon. And <laughs> yeah, this is not where you want to have this debate as you see the garbage truck approaching. But Ken, he switches sides. Like I do love Lotso's like, you don't need Barbie. There's a hundred million of them. Not to me, there's not. <laughs> and Big Baby gets a redemption here. I I actually love Big Baby in this moment. Big Baby turns out to be Darth Vader throwing the Emperor down the chute. See, like, <laughs> I was thinking more like Sloth, you know, because of, again, the eye and everything and how Sloth teamed up with Chunk. Yeah, I, I was thinking Sloth most of the time, but this just felt like Darth Vader picking up the Emperor because Woody has that Daisy badge and, like, said, look, she never forgot you. She wanted you back. And they find out that Lotso is this toxic personality that has made their lives worse. Big Baby just doesn't want to hear it anymore. And who can blame her? Like, I love the slamming the lid on it. With a raspberry. i like, yep, we're done with Lotso. But, unfortunately, as they're walking across, one of the squeak toy aliens gets stuck. And that's really <laughs> why we get the rest of this climax. Yeah, that Woody's got to go and save it. And my eight-year-old, when that Lotso hand comes out and grabs Woody, she's like, oh, geez. That really caught her off guard and scared her. It would have been too easy, right? They couldn't just go walk back to Andy's. We need to have a big, exciting, just like we have usually on the road. Here, they're all on the road, but in the garbage truck. We just need that for an ending. It is the story that they've told twice before, but modified in a way that it feels completely fresh and exciting. I can't say completely fresh. I can say exciting and definitely the improved graphics help tell this story with all of the detail of the garbage truck and everything and the garbage conveyor belt and just the fur on Lotso. I mean, again, everything here has amazing detail, but I am feeling been there, done that with the tale to get home. And I'm really praying they mix it up for part four, but it doesn't look <laughs> like they're going to. I mean, do you think Jason is not going to kill teenagers that come to a camp in the next Friday the 13th? <laughs> hey, they took him to space, they took him to New York, and they made him body hop. And there was a telekinetic. They barely took him to New York. Like, yeah, they had to try to do new things with Jason. I've watched all those films at this point. And what I appreciate about Toy Story, because I agree, Arnie, there are cliches that they do with every film. It's the fact that they always have new twists and they're able to examine different psychological profiles with their villains and with the characters and different emotions. Yeah, they're going through this thing where they might die again and they got to get back home. We've seen that twice already, but there's enough new stuff here where I'm going with it and enjoying it. I want to agree. I like the new stuff they're putting in. I just wish it wasn't another, you know, it's like Home Alone 3 at this point. How many times is Kevin going to be left Home Alone? I think once more, but it's a different actor that time. This is getting at the core of what makes a sequel. How far can you stray from a formula before you're not really honoring the tradition? You need to have all of these elements in order for it to feel unified. In Star Wars, and then The Empire Strikes Back, they weren't running away in an Imperial compound the second time. I mean, it was very different while still continuing the story. And in Iron Man 2, he didn't get kidnapped again and have to escape again. That's what this is feeling like. I feel like this is what sequels do. This one's doing it better because I'm so into what these relationships mean, not just like toys. There's funny stuff here and there's great action scenes. I enjoy all that, but every movie hits on a, just a different emotion, a different psychological profile. You know, this is about aging and, and growing up and moving on. And that's what Toy Story is to me that I'm a little worried about for. Let's talk about the rest of this 
one because I don't know if we need a four with this one. But I do like, you know, we got that little garbage truck scene at the beginning and that does set up that foreshadowed because once they're in the garbage truck, we see how it moves and they got to move back and buzz. I feel like this is a little bit of cheated. TV falls on him and that just resets him. I agree, but he's also the way they all get together. They're separated in the garbage truck. You guys told me in Toy Story 1 that Buzz could glow in the dark, but I never saw that until this very moment. You know, his glow in the dark (laughs) feature became very useful. I actually feel like they could have kept him Spanish. I mean, one of the themes of this movie is that things change, and that doesn't mean that you aren't who you are. Like, that would be a perfect way to continue on, and he could be an interesting character again, is what I'd argue. Yeah, I think he retains a little bit of that, because Jesse's into that Spanish side of him. Yeah, I do love, that's the compromise of going into the attic, is at least you can turn that on in the dark. But yeah, we're here at the climax, and again, for me, when you say Toy Story and what they all are about, existential crisis. That's what I've been hammering at home the whole time. It doesn't get more existential, really, than this. We're at the end. We are facing death now. Literally, they are, yeah, I love Rex. Hey, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's daylight. No, it's a a giant incinerator. Lotso, he had a chance. He could have saved him. He could have hit that stop button on the conveyor belt, and Woody saved Lotso. Like, there's a whole scene where they got to grab a piece of metal so they don't go through a grinder and Woody helps Lotso out but Lotso betrays them he is so toxic he's gonna let them all die he, he just cannot help anyone and they literally facing death going to that incinerator but the one I thought who died first were my favorites they haven't got much to do they've gotten screen time but nothing to do those three little aliens and they in this garbage dump see the claw and they go running off but then they get run over by a freaking bulldozer I think they're dead to be begin with and it should be said too that ken and barbie like they stayed back at sunnyside they're not here either so we do have separation of characters going on you know i didn't notice that until we get the credit sequence but there is so many moving parts going on here they're saying the point is that we all stay together but they're actually not yeah (laughs) they're actually points when they are kind of strewn about for for story purposes barbie was molly's like does she really count (laughs) but i actually do like barbie a lot in this yeah i agree she came in later yeah but i have to say when i was watching this in theater the scene is getting me now like they are approaching death And again, Woody is always about saving everyone. All the other toys realize this is it. We're going to hold hands and accept our fate. And it's Woody's the last to realize that. Like he's the last one to take his hand and he finally accepts it. I'm like, they're not going to do this. But they might do it, guys. I did not know. Like, I'm like, there's no way they're going to kill him. But I felt like they might actually do it. (laughs) Like, at the same time, I was so conflicted. I was so into this moment. It's not that we think that they would actually end the Toy Story franchise. Watching the toys we love melt before our eyes. They sell it, though. It's the fact that they're asking us to spend time feeling this. Yes. Which, again, entertainment doesn't ask people to spend time feeling bad. That's why you watch entertainment. I don't want to think about death. I don't want to think about the end. I don't want to think about apocalypse. And this really does feel like hellfire here. I know it's just an incinerator. Oh, no, but the way they animate it, yeah. Yeah, it's really incredibly powerful. It feels like some kind of end. It never got me. I just guess I never got into it enough to not think they will not melt the toys. And so while I saw them hold hands and I thought that was a sweet moment... I just waited to see how they'd get out of it. I didn't expect the aliens to be the heroes of the movie. I have no idea why there's a giant claw game in a freaking incinerator, 
but I'll go with it. Well, it's not in the incinerator, but to me, it's how they animate it. I feel for these characters at this moment. And I did find, someone did a prank video. It's messily edited. I, I wish it was done better, but they took Toy Story 3 you know, that zoom in on Woody as they face death and then they have it cut to credits and they showed it to their mom for the first time. And she's like, I can't believe they ended it that way. Like, to me, it's all the way they animated and the acting in these characters that sells it to me that I'm like, ah, they're not going to do it, but I feel like they might. But yeah, that claw comes in and finally saves them. Yeah, and the point is that if they hadn't stuck together, if they weren't all holding each other's hand, then they wouldn't have all been rescued. If they had been all scattered about, they hadn't stuck to their guns, what they had committed to do from this point forward is the thing that saves them in the end. And after this, I think there is a nice little rebuke of how Lotso is because the other toys, let's get revenge on Lotso and Woody's like, it's not worth it. He's willing to just let it go. And that is Lotso's problem. He's, he did not let that bitterness go and we'll see his downfall. He gets strapped to a garbage truck and he's got to keep that mouth closed so he doesn't eat bugs. I realize now why they can't do it. They have personified toys to the point where you can't even see bad toys get unstuffed and things because little kids are going to no. equate that to torture. He's not a bad toy. He's a broken toy. These are shades of gray. He's not a villain. He was hurt. If I saw a mentally ill person that was waving their arms around with a knife, I wouldn't want them shot. You know, if that mentally ill person almost killed me, I'd shoot them. I guess that's the difference. Yeah, that is the difference. <laughs> I don't want to see that. I don't want that to be the end. Here is Lotso meeting someone that really loves him. It's a nostalgic garbage man. He identifies so much with him, he's going to make him the emblem of his garbage truck. It's a form of love that he ends up there. But yeah, it's got to be uncomfortable swallowing that many bugs. <laughs> And again, I think that's one of the powerful things with this movie is speaking about relationships. What are you willing to go through to be in a relationship? There are people that will want to be in a relationship no matter what. They will be abused by the caterpillar room because that will fulfill some need. And Lotso, yeah, maybe this ends up being a happy thing for him because he's got an owner that does care about him finally, but he's eating bugs the rest of his life. It would be interesting if part four brought back Stinky Peach and Lotso. I'm wondering if they do. That's something that crossed my mind. It is something that is dangling out there that we saw all these toys that were resistant to human contact and then the, their worst nightmare comes true. What are they like years later? Have they softened? Have they mellowed? Again, I like to believe that there's a capacity here for Lotso to heal and that because he's broken doesn't mean he needs to be destroyed. I wanted to see him incinerated and get the, you know, if this were a superhero movie, we would like to see him get the punishment that he was trying to give unjustly to others. Yeah, but I think that is the point is that they realize Woody and company that that's toxic, that that is a bad road. That is the path to the dark side, anger and hate and all that. And they choose the other way. Yeah, at the very least, Arnie, I don't believe it's because they wussed out and didn't want kids to cry. This movie is pulling no punches. It is doing things that is going to make kids cry. It's going to do things that make me cry. So I don't feel like they are just afraid to hurt your feelings by not killing Lotso. Lotso is a complicated character and more nuanced than, yeah, your average comic book supervillain. Then here's a choice I don't get. I mean, we get this emotional moment. They get back to the house. All of the toys are back in their old condition. You know, somehow the paint got off. of. There's a shot where they're like in the hose. Yeah, I thought for sure Jesse was forever marred with the paint because yeah. her hair was dipped and used as a paintbrush. I'm like, there's no fixing that. It's a daycare. They got to use that water-based paint. That's real <laughs> easy to clean up. Yeah, I guess because the preschool kids will put it on the wall. But 
they are having this emotional goodbye. Woody is saying goodbye. All the other toys are going to the attic. He's going to college. And then he writes a post-it note that says, take the toys to Sunnyside or take the toys to Bonnie. Take them to Bonnie. He knows the address. By the way, we find out Andy lives on Elm Street. I don't know if that's the address from the house on Elm Street. I don't know if it's any reference to Freddy Krueger, if that's what you're getting at. <laughs> it's weird that you pick Elm Street, though. That is like such an iconic name for a street for horror. But Woody knows the address because he did that Google search. I guess he still remembers it. He's saying, take him back to Bonnie's. And that's a big deal, I think. Again, Woody is all about, oh, go up in the attic and I'm going to go to college, but you wait for me and then we'll all be reunited and having fun times. He's willing to let him go now and send him off to a better place, not just to be stuck in the attic where the, I guess there's a TV up there so that he can watch movies. But he's not willing to let them go. He gets in the box at a time that we don't see. And that is the surprise, Arnie, is that all of this has been about Woody always having to stick with Andy and Woody realizes now, hey, I could go too. Andy's got a new life. He's going to college. It's weird. I never had a roommate with a toy cowboy. <laughs> I think that would have been weird. But I think that's a big deal for Woody because these three films have always been about let's get back to Andy. And he is now not just letting the toys go and be separated from them, but he's willing to be separated now from Andy. But what a great choice. What they most wanted at the beginning in the toy box when they lured him there with that flip phone of his. They're like, please play with us one more time. And they, they at least get that. It's just such a great way of passing the torch yeah when he goes to bonnie and they start playing and it's uh, i'm getting emotional now it is this whole thing about growing up about, for me i'll talk about myself personally for collecting there was a lot of psychology wrapped around my childhood and trying to make up for things i missed and i could buy the toys that i never got as a kid now and that was somehow resolving something and i think that's why i eventually moved away from collecting because i had worked through that issue and all these feelings are wrapped up when he is playing with Bonnie. I got mad at myself for crying because I'm not crying because of Andy and he's losing his toys. Like Andy is barely a character in these films. I am emotional over just this journey these toys have been through and they're being passed on and going to another generation. Like it's weird because we're talking about Andy, 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 but this isn't about Andy. And I'm in a similar boat. I've thought this movie was fine till this point. I was a little tired of the retread and Andy is a non-character and here I'm bawling. And why am I bawling? It's part of it is because we've spent three movies with these characters and the entire MacGuffin the whole time is their love for Andy and we're seeing them give up the thing that has been their entire purpose for existence for three movies. But here is where you can look at it as maturation. I look at this as death. This is the death of their father. He's playing with them one last time, and then they'll never see him again. To As far as they're concerned, he's dead. He's gone forever. And now they have to try to make a new life with a new person who's young. I view this as to them. I mentioned in a previous show that Andy was their god, and now God is dead. And this really just, the feeling of existential loss is what had me crying. And Marjorie asked me, well, what was your Andy? What is your, you're crying about? Because you're not crying for the toys what are you crying about i'm like i'm just crying because i'm gonna die i'm gonna be the one leaving my toys behind and dying and i'm crying for me and to me it's almost this again arnie and i are collectors and it's almost this anti-collector stance like two had a big anti-collector stance because the collector was the villain and this it's like no don't keep these and try to sell them on ebay 
pass him on. There's just a lot of emotions and a lot of things entangled that I can't quite articulate. But I think you're right, Arnie. There's something about death here and and about moving on and and accepting your fate and really adult feelings that even in my 40s, I'm still struggling to articulate and define and work through. Just a very mature ending for this silly trilogy about talking toys. It's a part of human nature. I mean, they study this lifespan psychology. It's very common for people in middle age to suddenly start thinking about things beyond themselves. You work so hard in your early life to get to where you're going and to make it all about you and to have all the things you think you need to be where you're going. And then... Somewhere in the middle there, when you realize it isn't forever, you start thinking about how you can mentor. Usually it comes in the form of parenting. And to me, you keep talking about gods and death. I see that. But for me, this feels more like the experience parents have giving up their child going to college. I mean, this is what it feels like. The empty nest syndrome, as it were. Nobody's dying. They're going to continue on. Andy's going to continue on. But they're going to live different lives. And I love that, you know, the blue sky has always been a common motif. Usually it's just been the artificial wallpaper. Yes, the clouds on the wallpaper. But here we actually have the shot of him driving away. I was surprised he was driving himself. I always had my parents take me there. I didn't know you could take a car as a freshman to college. Oh, I did that. Really? You drove that? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I packed up my 83 Volvo and drove out to college. It underlines the point that they're making is that Andy doesn't need a parent anymore. Andy is a man. He has left. He's put away childish things. Arnie, you brought up that expression that is clearly what's happened they watch him drive away we pan up to that real blue sky great ending yeah i could barely see it through my tears (laughs) and they give you time to compose yourself like they wisely know these people are going to be a mess they can't talk to their children right now give them comedy give them randy newman god damn it (laughs) we belong together here's the thing i'm like okay here comes the fake gag reel because there's no real gags in animation it's super expensive to do but no they continue the story like ken and barbie they disappeared at the climax we see that they're the new leaders barbie the egalitarian she's created a better regime for all these toys and even the fisher price phone has a happy life now we see he's been semi-repaired still a little worse for wear but i just love ken it's just so trapped in 70s fashion he's got like the <laughs> leisure suit larry chain and pendant yes. <laughs> you know what impresses me like it's such a simple little detail but at the same time i'm like they abolished the class system yes they actually went there everyone is going to take their turn in the caterpillar room like the macho toys are now kind of treating it like tag team wrestling like okay you're it i've had my turn now you go out there yeah you were you see a toy go under the cabinet and they swap out so another toy is going to get abused think of that in terms of how comfortable people are with money are sometimes the suffering that their money affords them the ability to avoid and now that everyone takes a turn and it can actually be a fun thing. It just really sends home the message of collaboration and gets us some bold ideas, really, frankly. It's just a little gag, but Pixar is smart. They can take a little gag and make it mean a lot. They can sow the seeds of socialism in the young audience. (laughs) Well, it's not necessarily socialism, but I mean, yeah, I guess in a way. I mean, yeah. But we do get another reunion. The army men come parachuting in and they're going to be there. Zerg shows up as a toy. It's as close to a happy ending as we can get as a movie that still acknowledges that things change and people leave your life. But this does 
feel like a perfect conclusion. Like a trilogy has been told, a bow is on it. We've seen the boy get the toy. We've seen the boy start to realize that he's going to camp without the toys. We've seen the boy completely outgrow the toys and pass them on to the next generation. We're done. I don't need a part four. (laughs) I am kind of worried about that because I do feel like this is such a perfect ending for these characters. I guess if you want to know where Bo Peep went, go back for four. That seems like a big deal. I've seen none of the ads. I had no idea she was showing back up. I didn't even realize she was gone until I rewatched this one. (laughs) See, and I'd seen the trailer for four before seeing three. So I'm like, is she going to be gone in three? Will they address it or is she just gone? I mean, she was Woody's girlfriend, but I understand that every time a sequel has come, and I understand this from talking to you guys, that every time a sequel has come for Toy Story, it's been because Disney has demanded money. And so all of the sequels are cash grabs, but they've always been cash grabs that have soul and feel like part of a story. I feel like when the Pixar people are involved, that's saving it from Disney. Yeah, because they find a reason to go on. I understand your hesitation. I don't disagree with either one of you, but maybe we should just focus on what we got here rather than be T-Rex here and worry about what's to come. Can I just be happy that T-Rex has now a Triceratops friend to teach him the internet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed nice. Like, they even kind of looked like they were like made in the same toy line or something. They felt... Yeah, I, I like that. You know, we got that scene with Rex and he couldn't jump and fire at the same time on the video game. Trixie's helping him out here play that video game on that keyboard with all their limbs. All right. So before we go to Toy Story 4, Jacob Stewart, how strongly do you recommend Toy Story 3? Jacob. This is my favorite of the trilogy, and it's not just for technological reasons. I mean, yes, the computer graphics are even better than 2 was. They've continued to progress. They've continued to push themselves. They're not just stuck in a room. They're going in all kinds of different environments with Sunnyside and climbing into vending machines and Dreamhouse, all this kind of stuff. It really does feel like they could do anything at this point with the animation. The humans are looking pretty good. (laughs) Now, finally. But what really makes this the best one, just as far as the comedy and the action goes, again, I think it's because the technology is there, it's ramped up, it's just better. I I love a good escape movie, and you get that in this one. But what do I love about Toy Story is that they take silly talking, moving toys and tell really deep, mature, psychological, emotional stories with them and really show these different aspects of human nature. And this one, maybe because I was older when I saw it and, and I'm even older now as we review it just this theme of letting things move on and passing things to the next generation and making sure they're taken care of and they're happy and yeah we're all gonna go away to wherever you believe you're gonna go when you die and what do you leave as your legacy i don't know i I get very emotional it sounds like we all did i'm surprised all three of us got emotional during this because i could be a big softy in movies and yeah the fact that this one makes me cry this is the strongest recommends this i think is the best of the trilogy Stuart. Yeah, it was worth the wait. It was worth the 11 years that they took. And I think they were wise to take 11 years and do it. It's not unlike before sunrise, sunset, midnight. This is a franchise that benefits from taking a little time. Just take a snapshot of characters every decade and see how it is. That's about how long it's going to be between three and four. Maybe that's going to be a good thing. I mean, Toy Story 3 wouldn't mean nearly as much if it didn't confront Andy facing his adulthood and putting away his childish things. If they had made this sequel three years after Toy Story 2, Andy wouldn't have been old enough. It would just be a silly adventure with toys. And here, instead, they're tracking the aging process as it is experienced by parents and children. 
And yeah, this one looks so good. I mean, the 11 years they've had to advance the technology is a quantum leap. I mean, the voice acting is better because they now can get deeper into the voice with the physical objects. We can actually hear better line readings because they're animating better. And I think you're right. I'm going to retract what I said on Toy Story 2. I think you're right that I didn't remember it that way. I saw Toy Story 3 on DVD at home. I don't think I gave it full consideration. I remember thinking it was good, but I didn't fully give myself to it, and it didn't hit me at that end. I had forgotten the emotional ending of it. But when you give yourself to this movie, it's clearly, if not the best in the trilogy, a great way to bring the saga to a close. And in my opinion, endings are the trickiest part of storytelling. That's not easy to do. Usually something falls flat, something feels disappointing or unearned, or they just lose threads. And here I feel like all your characters are sent off in a beautiful, funny, touching way. And who could ask for more? I mean, again, if you follow this trilogy, this is a dynamite end to it. And one more thing, Lotso. I mean, I just want to underline, if you look at these movies as instructional and talking to children about difficult things they're going to face in their life, kids, there's a lot of Lotsos out there. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of broken people who want to do to you what was done to them. And that's hard to say to somebody. And this is a great movie to talk about that character. So... It nails sentimentality perfectly. I'm so impressed. The strongest of recommends for Toy Story 3. Obviously, it's a recommend from me. And there's certain things here that clearly are the best of the trilogy. That ending is the most emotional and heartfelt moment of the trilogy. And yeah, it can have so many different readings. The graphics by far are the best of the trilogy. But I agree, Buzz gets kind of underused here. I feel like Tim Allen in two successive movies now hasn't had a whole lot to do as far as character arcs. It's all woody, woody, woody. And I'm tired of the Home Alone toys trope. And so I can't decide if I like this one or two better just because I felt like two had more originality and this one, it had different villains and it had a different ending, but it told a lot of the same story that I've seen a couple times now. So it's going to be a toss up. I'm going to have to decide by part four how I'm going to rank the movies, but it's still a very solid recommend. I enjoyed the movie far more than I thought I would. And especially that ending was a savior for me because I was pretty lukewarm on the film up until that point, having a very been there, done that feeling. And you know, Arnie, that was my reaction the first time watching it at home. Like what you're saying is what I remember feeling about Toy Story 3 of like, yeah, it was good, but more of the same. And for this one, dialing into more of the specifics of what they did, I found that it had a lot to offer. And, and to me... You know, I like KISS as a band, but they didn't exactly get a musical variance going on, by and large. They got a disco song. Yeah, they had a disco song, and they did do the Elder and things. Jedi pulled out another Death Star. Aliens got, you know, a queen. Like, they do little tweaks, but yeah, it's always the same thing. And I don't think sequels should be totally different than where they came from. They shouldn't be radical rewrites of where they started. They should take the things that were started and draw them to a close. Usually a trilogy is a great way to stop because I've never heard of a good part four that had a good part one, two, and three. I've seen part fours in a trilogy I thought were good, but usually there was a problem before that. 
I'm just saying I want it to be consistent. I like how they've shown the maturation of Andy and how people relate to toys. I specifically, the lost toy finding its way home thing, you know, uh, follow that bird if they'd make it a sequel to the Big Bird movie should not be a chasing of Big Bird again. I have a feeling they're going to be chasing towards something, but I'm going to make one prediction. I've seen nothing about this movie coming other than there's like a spork that's a character or something. <laughs> yes. But Forky. Whatever that is. But that is literally the only thing I know. I might have seen half of a trailer. They might be pitching churro flavored ice cream in the supermarket. I might have seen Woody trying to pimp that to me. But I really don't know anything. But my prediction is the word Andy will not come up at all. Andy's story is done. The toy story that continues will be some new story. And that is made very clear by a series of shorts and TV specials that came out after this because they're all in, I'll call it the Bonnieverse. There is no Andy in these five shorts that came out between three and four. It's all Bonnie, but they did get all the original cast to do the voices. I saw these things were out there, but I so didn't want to spoil the way this movie left me that I just said, I don't want anymore. Yeah, you're not going to get the emotional resonance that you did with the films. Right. I think, Arnie, this is what you're saying you want. Here are stories that have no tie to what was done previously, and they don't hit the same tropes. I'm guessing Toy Story of Terror and Toy Story That Time Forgot are just silly animated cartoons. Well, actually, now those were half-hour specials. They're around 22 minutes because you've got to have commercials. But those came out last. 2013, you got Toy Story of Terror. That came out around Halloween. It's not specifically Halloween-themed, but it's Bonnie. She's got the toy. She's with her mom. They get a flat tire, and they have to stay at a hotel for the night until the car can get fixed. And <laughs> there is something stealing the toys. It's very much a horror. At least the first half is done as a horror where there's something mysterious grabbing the toys. You deal a lot with Jesse and her PTSD like early on she gets stuck in a toolbox and she freaks out and of course the climax is her having to go into a box to save the day but you find out it's really bizarre the hotel manager has an iguana that goes around and steals toys of people who stay there so that he could put them on eBay you know, Woody sells for $2,000 on eBay and gets packed up. The best thing about this one, Toy Story of Terror, is Carl Weathers shows up as Combat Carl and G.I. Joe, both in 12-inch and 3 and 3 quarters form. I like Carl Weathers. Sure, why not? Yeah, so that had Carl Weathers going for it. But it did play up. The toys are getting separated, and Jesse's got to go save Woody from getting shipped with the FedEx guy. It's fun, but it's there for the kids. And same with Toy Story That Time Forgot. This is a Christmas Toy Story. It takes place two days after Christmas, and... Bonnie goes to her friend Mason's house and he's ignored all the toys he got for Christmas because he's playing video games and he got all these, they're called battle sores. There's these dinosaur He-Man type figures and remember Toy Story 1, the whole story with Buzz, they think they're real. So when these toys show up, they take them prisoner because they're not dinosaurs and the main battle sores got to realize he's a toy and learns that it's fun to be played with. So they do hit similar notes as the films, just new characters, but there are the shorts as well. And the first one going back to 2011 Hawaiian Vacation. This came out before Cars 2, because I guess they needed to get people out to Cars 2. Uh, the little kids might want to go there, uh, but maybe a Toy Story short would draw them there. This, to me, was one of the weaker ones. It's all about Bonnie. It's 
wintertime, there's snow, she's going off to Hawaii on vacation for winter break, and Ken and Barbie thought they were going, they had this whole trip planned out, and Barbie, this is like, we're gonna have our first kiss in Hawaii, and they end up being left behind by Bonnie, and so all the other toys recreate Hawaii for them, so they could have that first kiss. I love that reversal of the trope. Instead of the toys trying to find their way home, the toys are left at home. Yes. And they're very excited to be left at home. They get to, like, stretch out and relax. And then in 2011, I did see this one. It's called Small Fry. It was a short that played before The Muppets. If you remember, they tried to bring The Muppets back. and Twice. Yeah, twice. I guess it hasn't been successful. But Small Fry, this one was fun. This was my favorite of the bunch because it has to do with Happy Meal toys. And a Happy Meal Buzz sneaks home with Bonnie and Buzz gets left behind and ends up, like, doing group therapy with other Happy Meal toys that were left behind in the store and you get Arnie you remember those McDonald's had Happy Meal Transformers where you had like a burger turn into a robot and a thing of McDonald's fries turn into a robot like they do one of those they have a steak I think they're called like the Metacons and they fight the Veggie robots or whatever but this one you know I like that therapy scene and Wreck-It Ralph with all the bad guys and this one was kind of reminiscent of that it reminded me of that so there was some fun there where you know these toys that were left behind realizing that they're not the prize that the prize is the joy that they bring to children. So it does seem like they're keeping a certain level of adult neurosis written into these characters. They're not going to let that go, and I think that's wise. That makes it Toy Story. Especially with Small Fry, I got that feeling that that was tapping into the stuff that I've liked about these films that they get into. And then the final short, 2012, Party Story Rex. This was a short before the 3D edition of Finding Nemo. And I guess the moral of the story is don't give in to peer pressure because Rex, no one like, not that they don't like him. They just call him a party pooper because he's clumsy and he ruins the games they're playing. And then he is taken by Bonnie to go into the bath and he finds out about all the bath toys. And then Bonnie leaves and they're like, oh, the party's over because the water's been drained. And he's like, I got arms. I could turn the faucet on. And so they end up flooding the house. And, you know, he thinks it's great at first because they're like, oh, you're the best. You're letting the party go. And it's a lot of fun animation. And then, yeah, the house gets flooded. And so I guess there's a story about giving into peer pressure there. But these all feel like they're for younger kids. How long are these things? The shorts that came out before the films, they're all around five to seven minutes. Okay, perfect. All right. I'm like, I wouldn't want to see that for half an hour, but... No, it's fun. They do this like whole techno scene and I'm sure it probably looked great in 3D and it had a thumping beat going on while they're all partying in the bathtub. What's funny is I've seen a couple of these. I saw Finding Nemo in 3D in theaters and I saw the Muppets in theaters. So I've seen those. Zero memory, zero impact. And... I would have paid attention at the time because I remember liking the first Toy Story, but these left no flavor in my mouth. Truth be told, I'm not into shorts in general, like of anything. Like there's a whole bunch of alien shorts they release. I ain't going to go watch them. I don't care if they're (laughs) characters I like or anything. Like I just, the short format to me is just not substantial enough. I want a movie. I want a feature. And so maybe I want what's coming out this weekend. We aren't going to review it next Tuesday. Sorry to be the party source Rex and ruin the party, but we instead are going to get back to a different kind of toy. We're going to get back into the Annabelle universe and release Curse of La Llorona before we then review Annabelle Comes Home. Who wants those toys? The same people that want the Child's Play reboot that will also be out next week. It's a time for toys, but we will get the Toy Story for sometime that week, but it will be a little bit later than Tuesday. Yeah, but we will have a 
totally free Tuesday show, and we will have Child's Play coming out next week, so you will get your fill of talking toys, and this one will be voiced by Mark Hamill instead of Tim Allen. And Men in Black as well. That just came out. I feel like we're just going to the movies all the time, but the fourth installment of that franchise it came out last weekend. Our review of that comes out Friday for donors and patrons that follow that series beforehand. If you're interested in getting our bonus shows and supporting our show and supporting us going to the movies once or twice a week, every week for the summer, not just for fun, but so we can record these week of release podcasts, Head to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate or nowplayingpatron.com. And I still say our patron campaign is now the best bargain on the entire internet. We have 28 patron exclusive reviews for $10 a month. I mean, that's insanely cheap. Some really cool shows that we've done nowhere else available. I do think it's worth your time. If you can do it, we do have a lot of cool content. I wish we could share with everyone. And donors, listeners, everybody hearing our voices, thank you for joining us for the Toy Story Trilogy. We'll be back sometime next week with Toy Story 4 and next Tuesday with La Llorona. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, you have a friend in us. It'll be fun while it lasts. I'm proud of you, cowboy. Besides, when it all ends, I'll have old Buzz Lightyear to keep me company. For infinity and beyond. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. I have been chosen. Farewell, my friends. I go on to a better place. If you enjoyed this show, you can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. If your kid loves you so much, why is he leaving? Want to hear more reviews like this one? You can find hundreds of other movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. In the vacuum of space, they cannot hear you scream! In our archives section are over 800 reviews. Listen to our hosts discuss horror, sci-fi, comedy, action, drama, and more. Wow, this place is amazing. Plus, you can hear reviews of every movie based on Marvel or DC Comics. Are you kidding? It's a commercial! A new, totally free movie review podcast is posted every Tuesday. So come back each week for another new show. I'm blessed! I'm gonna get played with! Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. If you'd help us, one toy to another, I'd sure be grateful. You can support Now Playing by joining our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. Backers can get early access to reviews, unedited reviews, exclusive shows not available anywhere else, and more. Details are at nowplayingpatron.com. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Huh? At our Podbean site, you can also support the show by listening to any of our donation shows. Series like Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Phantasm, Jaws, and others are available for a small, one-time contribution. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. We want to specially thank our Podbean donors of $50 or more. Brent, AZ Kovacs, Brant Paddock, 
Nafe Williams, J. Clark Fisher, Logan2012, Neil Mulcahy, Roy Lake, T. Durden182, V.C. Neri, Wes Zimmerman2, Paul Blanchett, Len King Jr., Bowerman Entertainment, Cross CR, Fisherjaw12, Jazer Watowski, Martin Hibbets, New York Giants Fan3342, Rudix, Andrew Doran, VMC Clentic, Now Playing Fan, Big Nico2047, Developer Adrian, Gojira76, Kiefer42, Moe, Price Jared24, Sphinct Tech, The Zabukazar, Adam Malowinski, Chris L. Harris, And Marup, D. Peters Versus, Brandante, James on Childress, Klein 40, Mr. Osmus 2, Robert Carter USC, Ticasta 2176, TNF 73, We Are Tessellate, Anakin Flair. Thank you, thank, thank you all, thank you. You can also donate to us directly on PayPal. Details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. You saved their lives. Oh, my hero. Want 375 more Now Playing reviews? Get the Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Arnie, Stewart, Jacob, and Marjorie reviewed 125 different movies, each getting three recommends or not recommends. The ebook is available now, and the print book will be shipping soon. Find details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. Nirvana is coming. The mystic portal awaits. You can also follow Now Playing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests, where you can win movies and soundtracks. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube for original video content. Uh, hi. Hello. Hi. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Everything's gonna be okay. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Good job, troops. We're that much closer to Woody. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. It's too short. We need more monkeys. There aren't any more. That's the whole barrel. Now Playing credits read by Brock. I don't believe that man's ever been to medical school. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You are a I don't care bear. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. I have a question. Well, actually, not just one. I have all of them. I have all the questions. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Authority should derive from the consent of the governed, not from the threat of force. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of, and may not be used without the expressed written permission of, Venganza Media Incorporated. Shoots and ladders. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. So long, partner. Kaboom. Directed by Lee Unkrich. Unkrich? Unkrich? Did somebody listen to a commentary? I did, but I don't remember what his name was. <laughs> Unkrich sounds right. And their leader is friendly teddy bear, lots of hugging. You want to say teddy bear again? Thank you. <laughs> teddy bear. <laughs> teddy bear. I was like, is that a thing? I was just rolling with the sand if anyone would say anything. Teddy bear. <laughs> it could be a Midwest accent thing. <laughs> it could. It was weird, though. <laughs> and <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs>